So, question for you, Joker, and the audience. If you could be either a half-breed of any fancy creature, what would it be? Basically, you get most of their powers, but none of the side effects. But you will never be as powerful as a pure blood. We go the dragon. You know what? I'm not even born. I'm not even surprised. I almost, as the question left my mouth, I'm like, he's going to pick dragon, isn't he? Heck yeah. Um, If I can have the breath weapon and like all the durability of a dragon, sure, I may not be able to fly or, you know, quite have their strength, but still, it'd be amazing. Maybe I think I'd go with a, um, I forget their actual mythical name, but what Medusa is. A Gorgon. A Gorgon. I think that'd be kind of a fun one to be. That just, like, especially if I had like slight control over making the stone thing happen. Yeah. I mean, that's really the only power you get, though. Like, they don't really have anything else for them. I mean, they have a little bit of regenerative powers. Okay. That, either that or a werewolf. Which is already kind of a half-breed to begin with. True. <laughs> <laughs> okay, folks, that leads us into this week's character. We're going to talk about Blade, a.k.a. Eric Cross Brooks. Those of you who haven't read the comics, that's right, he does have a full name. <laughs> so, let's get into it. So Blade was introduced as a supporting character in Marvel Comics, The Tomb of Dracula, issue number 10, July 1973, written by Marv Wolfman and penciled by Gene Cullen. Man, he, yeah, he's an older character. I like how Wolfman is involved in a lot of the creatures of the night. (laughs) It's kind of ironic. You almost wonder if he's just like, as he's like, like writing something, he's just like, God dang it. Another just, one to the list. Yeah. He just knows they've been typing, like typecasting him to write for those. Right. <laughs> so the artist would recall in 2003, Marv told me Blade was a black man, and we talked about how he should dress and how he should look. Very heroic looking. And that was my input. The bandolier of Blades, that was Marv's idea, but I dressed him up and put the leather jacket on him and so on. Okay, so that's pretty, pretty cool concept. Um... Because I, I feel as though the character probably, like, because that's the question, because he was definitely an earlier black hero. Oh, yeah. And that, so I feel as though R.A. creating uh, T'Challa, Black Panther, if they want to, you know, more put him in just, you know, like a European country like Europe or America, they, you know, there's a discussion of like, are we going like traditional roots or are we just going to make him his own character? Exactly. And honestly, the leather jacket, I'm down. It looks cool. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It works great for his character. (laughs) Okay, so Cullen based the character's features on composite uh, composites of black actors, including NFL football star turned actor Jim Brown, which I did look up a uh, photo of him. And yeah, pretty like you can you can see some of the features. Makes sense. Well, yeah. Yeah, no, that's actually kind of cool, though. An NFL star. It's almost like the Sting thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, Blade would appear in issues number 10 through 21, with additional appearances in issue 24 and 28, all together ranging from July of uh, 73 to September of 74. Which isn't horrible for being just a supporting character at the time. Right? I mean, because in total, that's like, what, we got 11, 12... 13 issues that he appeared in. Which, yeah, for a supporting character, isn't horrible. Yeah, it really isn't. It's actually really, really good. Compared to some of the supporting characters we've done, very. 
Also bothers me that Wolfman, like, no offense, Wolfman, if you ever hear this, but considering there is a character named Wolfman by night, (laughs) it keeps throwing me off seeing Wolfman's name here, so I'm going to go into it. So Wolfman, the real person, (laughs) recalled in 2009... I knew if I let him, if I let him, Blade would eclipse the other characters. So I pulled him back and let original supporting characters Rachel, Frank, and Quincy shine. I also wasn't happy with my Blade dialogue, so I pulled him out of the book for a while. I think almost a year. And when I brought him back, I played him a bit uh, straighter. The early Blade dialogue was cliche Marvel Black dialogue. Later on, I tried to make him more real, but it took growing up as a writer. Which, that makes sense, uh, especially considering you, like, Wolfman is a white man trying to portray a black character. He's going to fall into... And not just that, but also just for the time period. They only had so many, and they were all playing off stereotypes anyways. Exactly. So, honestly, I kind of give him props for, like, realizing what he was doing and just being like, I'm going to pull this character out until I can actually portray them realistically yep, until i can portray them the way i really want to because like in the first part of this you might almost get upset that he pulled him back and let the other character shine but considering why yep. that completely makes sense and oh yeah definitely mad respect wolfman mad respect <laughs> so outside the tomb of dracula he would fight the scientifically created vampire morbius the living vampire in the later series an adventure into fear issue number 24 in october of 74 in a story written by Steve Gerber and penciled by P. Greg Russell. Bam. I didn't uh, know he actually fought Morbius when I decided we should do Blade after for the concept of a vampire <laughs> being followed by a vampire hunter. Which, because um, uh, me and Joker were talking before we started recording, I actually, Blade's, uh, Blade is one of the few characters whose comics I never really got into. Don't know why, because I loved like the movies and his appearances in cartoons. I only know he fought Morbius from the nineteen from the nineteen nineties Spider-Man cartoon, but had no idea if he actually did in the comics. It makes sense considering how act comic accurate the show was. Yeah. Okay. So Blade's first so- solo story came in Marvel's black and white horror comics magazine, Vampire Tales, issue number eight, in December nineteen seventy-four. In an 11-page story by Wolfman and penciler inker Tony DiZaniga, this feature continued in issue number 9, February 1975, with Wolfman and Chris Claremont co-scripting. Blade, uh, Blade would then appear in a 56-page solo story that concluded the story um, begun in Vampire Tales 8 through 9 in the Black and White Showcase magazine Marvel Preview 3. Uh, written by Claremont with the two chapters, each drawn by Tony D. and Regal Rival. Uh, the story was announced for Vampire's Tales issue number 12, but was published here after the magazine was canceled. With a six-page backup story by Wolfman and Colin, followed in Marvel Preview number 8 in fall of 1976. Okay. I gotta tell you, just so so far right now, I do appreciate that Wolfman has had a hand in most of his, oh, his yeah. work. Oh, yeah. And that's always nice when original people who worked on it still keep some kind of like yep. input. Okay, so uh, Blade Blade next came into prominence in the 1990s, beginning with Ghost Rider issue number 28, August 1992. In the Midnight Suns imprint that included issues of Darkhold, pages from the Book of Sins. 
Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider uh, Blaze, Johnny Blaze, uh, Spirits of Vengeance, Midnight Suns, Unlimited, Morbius, and Night Stalkers. Blade co-starred in the 18-issue series Night Stalkers and appeared with the team in a story in the anthology issue Midnight Suns Ultimate, issue number one, April 1993. He appeared in two solo stories in Midnight Suns Unlimited, issue number two, and seven, July 1993 and October 1994. So, honestly, like... He's been all over the place. He really has, but, like, I, I, it almost reminds me of... I forget which character it was. I think it might have been Moon Knight. Like, impressed with the consistency. Yep. Like, even though he hasn't had as many solo runs at this point, like, the fact that he's just kind of been a prominent in their character. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that He was very prominent through the 70s, extremely prominent through the early 90s. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's impressive that he just has maintained a prominence. Right. Even if he hasn't had as many solo runs. Be nice if he'd kind of come back. I I would like to see him come back, and honestly, I think I'm a, I think that might be my next comic book purchase is getting some of his older works. You say that during almost every episode. And honestly, <laughs> if my wallet would allow it, it would be the truth. It'd be the truth because you'd have him before the episode. Yeah, you're dang right. I'd be reading him to do the research. That'd be my research. So, following the cancellations of Night Stalkers, Blade debuted in his first color comic series, Blade the Vampire Hunter, issues number 1 through 10, in July of 94 through April 95. Written by Ian Edgington, with the last two issues by Terry Kavinga, uh, and penciled by Doug Wheatley. Okay, a little, little sad to see Wolfman disappear on that, but you know what? It makes sense that much later in the time period that True. it makes sense that there'd be new people taking... True. Uh, starting it, and I'm sure they probably, he probably had some input into it. But he wasn't kinda, really working on it. More exactly. of like somebody probably went to him and was like, hey, how did you get into the headspace to write it? Kind of like how they did with uh, the new Star Wars films and Lucas, where mm. he was kind of the, he was the voice on the side, but he wasn't in charge. Fair, fair. So, uh, yeah, folks, um, that's kind of it for Blade's um, real world origins into... Uh, the late 90s um if you want more maybe later on we'll do a expansion episode but for now we're just doing origins so let's get into in universe so in universe eric eric brooks was born in uh, uh soho london on the 24th october 1922 his father uh lucas cross a member of the secret society the order of the tyranna sent his pregnant wife uh, Tara to England before he was taken prisoner in Latveria. I find this very unique because based on the movies, you would have never guessed he was born in England. That's because we'll go into a little bit later because it was a fun fact. Something I found out was kind of interesting. Redcon? No. (laughs) No, like I said, we'll go into that a little bit later. Kind of what can help us explain all that. Cool, cool, cool. But, uh, yeah, no, kind of cool. Uh, parents actually were already pretty prominent in some. In At least something. the dad was. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in England, uh, his mom would take the name Vanessa Brooks and found shelter with the, with the brothel owner, Madame Vanity, another member of the Order of Tyrena. Okay, so dad at least has some connections to try to keep him safe. Yeah, but I feel but, like it's the only reason she ended up in a brothel. 
Yeah. I hope. I'm hoping to. <laughs> I'm also do find uh just like going back to what the part I read, I I find it funny that the Lavarian thing was brought in just cuz uh at this at this point in the timeline, it would have still been ruled by that corrupt leader before yep. Doom took over. So that that's kind of just Which is probably why they kind of used it at that time point cuz they were able to use it without having Doom. Yeah, which which brilliant writing, I think. And that also, you know, kind of just ties into where somebody asked him about, but he would probably be like, F the last guy I'm about to do. Yep. When Tara experienced severe labor complications, a doctor was called. In actuality, the doctor was the vampire Deacon Frost, who killed Tara by drinking all of her blood. However, this inadvertently passed along certain vampire enzymes to her baby son as he was born. And yeah, I guess that's how you get a hybrid vampire. Yep, because I talk about that here in this next section, where the enzymes that entered the infant's bloodstream would transform him into a being tainted by a vampire's kiss, but not converted. In other words, half human, half vampire, also called a Dathmir. I thought the Dathmir part was kind of cool to talk about. Oh, yeah. That they actually have a legitimate name for it. Yep. And also... I I know the Dathmir, that's a a term that's used for other, like, half breed kind of things in other universes. I think I've heard it used in Skyrim. Okay, so the brothel sex workers drove off Frost once they realized what he had done. And from what I could tell of it in that, um, like the brothel worker, like this whole society, everybody involved, even the low, like the, like, like brothel workers would have some skill sets to be able to fight off vampires. Apparently. Well, it makes sense if, because if one person's a part of a certain organization, there's probably a little more going on in this brothel than just the normal brothel. Exactly. And which honestly in a lot of I in a lot of things I've either read or watched, brothels are always the perfect kind of front slash cover thing for secret organizations wanting to work and find obtain knowledge in towns. Yep. Which makes sense why she would own one. <laughs> so due to his father, Lucas Cross, being falsely imprisoned in his native Latveria, Eric would be raised in the brothel, believing his mother to have been an employee there. And at age nine, returning home from school one day, he saw an old man being attacked by three vampires. Eric would help the man, Jamal Afari, distract his attacker so he could kill them with a silver sword. Which I thought I, I thought was pretty cool how he how he uh, found this new vampire hunter. Also, I had to do so much cross sourcing to make that paragraph. <laughs> Because I believe it. No page had an exact thing about his childhood. They all had like things that were different, but they all slightly mm. correlated. So I'm like, we're just going to mix all of this. Which I mean, makes sense because a lot of the stories aren't going to care much about it. A lot of his childhood because it's not going to be that hugely important all the time to certain characters. Exactly. So, uh, so over time, his skill with bla- uh, bladed weapons would earn him the name blade among his enemies and allies alike. Makes sense. There was also one version where they said that he called himself that. I I could see that too. I could see it too in that. I just like to believe he wouldn't be that pompous. Um, so Blade would also receive additional training from the legendary stick. Which that, I got real I excited. Not, I was not expecting that among, among all people. I wasn't either. I got real excited. Also, uh, just for everybody wondering, I would like to go back now that we brought up stick. Uh, uh, Jamal Afari... Um, was actually the character in the movies. He is, um, he is, um, Wheeler. Okay. They had altered him, uh, from that character. He was a stand in for that character. Okay. 
who in the comics was a black character who pretended to be a jazz musician so he could travel and hunt vampires. Makes sense. Okay, so now let's get into uh, Blade's a uh, little bit young arrogance. Uh, Blade's easy victories made him cocky. He joined a gang of young hunters, the Blood Shadows, headed by Cyrus Cutter, later killed by Blade in a knife fight caused by Blade's disapproval of Cutter's actions as leader. Couldn't find anything that really went into detail on the disagreements. I can only imagine it had to be pretty bad for him to be like, this is going to end with... It was probably similar to the whole moral standpoints with, like... Uh, Moon Knight and his yeah, uh, and partner. His, yeah, his mercenary guy that he was... Bush, uh, Bushmaster, whatever. I don't remember, but the one he was working for. Yeah. Not his actual partner. Yep, I but remember. I feel like it's probably something similar. I could see that. Where it's the methods he used, he didn't really care for. I could see that. So, Gloriana... Uh, Cutter's girlfriend would become Blade's first lover. So, having gone to London, where for months the groups hunt, the group hunted vampires, demons, and warlocks under Blade's leadership, the group would encounter a much older and more powerful vampire than Blade had met before, uh, named Lamia. Blade would barely defeat Lamia, who had slaughtered the other blood shadows in blit gl- bit glory, <laughs> turning her into a vampire. Ah, okay. My dyslexia wasn't even reading that as the name. I was, it kept, I'm like, I'm like, it says gory. <laughs> Man, you would have been even more just yeah. bad. Yeah. So, hmm. Okay. Well, uh, that's kind of a sad ending for his first team, like team. Yeah. But also dealing with supernatural things, kind of expected. Yeah. So generally not expected that soon though. <laughs> You're like, you think we get a few more years under our belts before a leader just came and wiped us out. <laughs> Okay, so although Glory subsequently refused to kill Blade, she warned him never to look for her or she would kill him. The tragedy of the experience changed Blade considerably as he became much more focused and determined in his hunting. Which makes sense because clearly he was slightly unfocused, probably because his first lover's right next to him. Yep, and it probably explains why he's probably more of a loner type character. Oh, definitely. So, Afari himself would later pray, fall prey to Dracula, the first occurrence in an ongoing feud between the Vampire Lord and Blade. Blade would mercy kill his mentor after Afari rose as a vampire and tracked Dracula back to Europe, uh, Asia, and Asia Minor, staking him many times but never completely destroying him. And as we discussed in the Dracula episode, which you can go back and check out on our pages, um, Dracula is hard to like fully put down. I'm actually kind of surprised that the whole thing with him and Blade never really came up. Yeah. Out of I'm, all of that. I'm a little shocked that too in that. But at the same time, Dracula had a large enough hit. Well, I his, wonder if this was far enough into his later story that we just never got to it. I, us doing Origins, I could see that. Because I think we barely got to where phones became a thing with uh, Dracula. <laughs> I think so. And Blade was born after phones were a thing, people. <laughs> so, while in China, Blade joined... Uh, Ugin Strong's Vampire Hunters, which included Azu, Ori, and Musanda. Musa, Musenda. If I butchered any of those, I apologize. Uh, together, they staked Dracula again. Dracula survived. <laughs> Who saw that coming? <laughs> and killed all of the hunters except Blade and Musenda. 
who eventually return uh, retired from vampire hunting. I do love the idea of them like staking Dracula, and then he almost immediately comes back and is like, I'm going to light y'all up pretty hard now. Right. That'd be even better, because I'm sure it probably wasn't immediate, but that would just be, make it so much funnier. Right? Just like, did you just stab me? <laughs> oh, look, I've been impaled. <laughs> oh, that's a mistake. He don't know it yet. Okay, so... Well, <laughs> Or I created a lasting impression on Blade with his use of wooden daggers to combat vampires, leading to Blade adopting that weapon as his preferred arms. Consumed by grief for his fallen comrades, Blade re- Blade resumed his quest alone. So, between his first group and the second group, that's entirely why he's a loner. Oh, I, com- I completely understand, and... Yeah, so folks, that's it for Blade's Origins. If you want more on it, maybe later on in this series we'll start doing modern-day tales, but for now, we got that origin down. So, let's move on to powers and abilities. So, Daphnir Physiology. Blade was born a human-slash-vampire hybrid. The enzymes in Blade's blood made him immune to normal vampire bites, uniquely attuned to sensing the supernatural and resistant resistant to aging since being bitten by morbius blade has gained many of the traditional powers of vampires without developing their weaknesses he was super uh, he has superhuman strength senses and stamina plus an accelerated healing factor i kind of that kind of does go into the whole uh for those of you who have been following along morbius being able to create thralls Yep. And that, but biological ones. So that would almost complete Blade's power set without him being becoming the an actual thrall to him. Which I think is exactly what just happened. Yeah, which kind of cool. Right. <laughs> like, ooh, power up. So he has superhuman acute senses, superhuman speed, superhuman agility, superhuman durability. So Blade's vampire-human hybrid tissue allows him to sustain physical trauma to a certain extent. This also contributes to his healing factor, making him more resistant than a normal human. He has regenerative healing factor. Blade, like true vampires, possesses an accelerated healing ability that allows him to heal mild to moderate injuries, which much gra- uh, with much greater speed, efficiency than an ordinary human. He has uh, he has contam- uh, contaminant transferal. Now this is a little I'm kind of just cool, interesting thing. He can take any kind of ingestible or even metaphysical ailment uh, coursing in the system of another living being or willingly introduce into his system and pass it along in the same way. Vampire uh, transfer their mitochondria pathogen that turns others into thralls. That's kind of a cool, like... That's kind of cool that he basically can take out somebody's ailment or just put in something. All I know is he would hate me. Oh yeah. Anytime I had the flu, I'd be bugging him. <laughs> I'd just be like, just come on. You're going to heal in a day from in that I'm stuck like this for two weeks. Just bite me. I don't care how bad it's going to hurt. It's better than this. I can't keep anything down. Okay. So he also has a prolonged life. Although not a pure vampire, he does have the advantage of being a hybrid. This includes a pseudo-immortality, greatly enhanced lifespan. So I would assume it'd be similar on uh, to Morbius's, if I had to guess. Probably not as long as Morbius's, but yeah, probably the same idea where it's not true immortality, 
but it's kind of like the next best thing. Yeah. So he also has a tra- uh, transformation, which is something I had no idea. It had to be uh, a comic thing only. Yeah. Cause blade seemingly possesses the ability to change to, and from human form to a more monstrous state of being by force of will. Which also uh, gives him the ability to uh, manifest wings. Uh, immunity. He also has immunity to vampire vulnerabilities. Basically, anything that could kill a vampire, or you know, vampires technically weak against, he is not. I'm sure if you blew off his head, uh, you know that's a different story. But oh, yeah. I think you could take out most vampires by just straight up blowing off their heads. That's step one through seven. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, the guys, their weaknesses, they can't live without their heads. <laughs> okay, so uh oh, well, that that's it for powers and abilities. So, before we get into the other media, what I was saying we bring up uh later about the kind of changes from the comic to the movies is a fun fact that uh, Marvel Wolfman actually tried to sue the people who made the Blade movies because he didn't it was the what was the word? He didn't do it as like a like a thing to hire. So technically it was his works. Oh. But the people who made the movie won because it was made just different enough that it wasn't technically the same character. And not going to lie, after going through this history and everything. It makes so much sense. Yeah. Totally explains how they got away with that. Yep. Because <laughs> yeah, his... very different characters. Exactly. And it was... Yes, there's a lot of similarities, but it was just different enough where the court said, nope, this doesn't count. Dang it, that is sad. Man, Wolfman, you'll have your day. Every dog, ha- every wolf has its day, and you'll have yours. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, into other media. So he, mo- he mainly has television appearances. So he appears in Spider-Man, the Blade self-titled TV series. Marvel anime Blade, uh, Marvel anime Blade, Ultimate Spider-Man two-part episode Blade and the Howling Commandos, uh, Hulk and the Agents of Smash, and in Marvel Disc Wars: The Avengers. You know, as dumb as the Disc War anime looks, it also kind of looks fun and like right. fun and awesome. Because Deadpool even has an appearance in there. Oh yeah, I want to see it. We've <laughs> had quite a few that have an appearance in the Marvel anime, and it's making me more curious every time we find one. Yeah. So, in film, he is in Blade, Blade 2, and Blade Trinity, portrayed by Wesley Snipes. Which, as I was watching the first and the second, I like the second better so far because he's not as stiff. Like, in the first movie, he's just so stiff and upright and just walks awkwardly and moves like his whole body when he turns. Yeah, it's almost like so, like he practiced wearing the um, Christopher Keaton Batman suit. Right? <laughs> So, like, I definitely like, I haven't gotten to Trinity yet, but I like his portrayal already so much better. He looks more human-like in two. I will say I like all three for different reasons of each one, but I can fully agree with uh, your statement of that first one. Uh, you can tell it was in the late 90s movie. <laughs> Mofo's always trying to ice skate uphill. So, and in July of 2019, Marvel would announce that Mar- Marshala Ali had been cast as Blade in an upcoming film and had been an uncredited episode in the post-credit scene in The Eternals. What? I didn't know there was a post-credit scene, so I still need to go back and watch that because I forgot it was in here. I still need to finish The Eternals, but... <laughs> 
but I do like that they're. I really like their casting choice for the new Blade. Like, I think he's gonna do great. Because wasn't it the same guy who was the uh, villain in the first season of Luke Cage? Yes. Which honestly, that's my only irritation with it. Is but considering the Netflix aren't technically canon anymore, now I'm like. Oh, he's going to... Because honestly, when I first heard about it, I'm like, why didn't we cast him as Blade to begin with? Like, that guy's... Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is going to be perfect. I'm excited. So, he also has a fairly large video game uh, list where he appears in Blade, Blade 2, Marvel Ultimate Alliance, Ghost Rider, Spider-Man, th- uh, Spider-Man Friend or Foe, the PS3, PSP, and Wii versions of the Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2, uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 3, Fate of Two Worlds, Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, The Black Order, and Lego Marvel Superheroes 2. Always so with the Legos. <laughs> he's in a lot of just those, it seems, except for a few of them. Mostly like the fighter kind of games. Which makes sense. He's actually a pretty uh, cool character to get in the Ultimate Alliance when you find him. He's kind of a, in the first game, I think at first or second, but like he's kind of a, you have to find him in the game. That's cool. And that I actually found him on complete accident and was real happy. Back in the day when you had to actually earn your characters and not just buy them. (laughs) Looking at at you, EA. Or any. Or any. uh, Fighting company nowadays. Mm, Fair. Because Mortal Kombat's not any better anymore. True. Okay. And uh, I guess uh, we should end this with a question we always ask. You a fan, Joker? Oh, definitely. I've... I never really knew a lot about him. Didn't really. I saw a few of the cartoon episodes, but I've always liked the concept of Blade. He always seemed like an awesome character. And same here. Like I knew him from the cartoons and the movies mostly. Didn't really know him from the comics. But after this, yeah, I'm still a fan. For anyone that's still listening, if you got something out of this, enjoyed the episode, or even liked the character before from a movie, comic, cartoon, hell, even that T-shirt that you saw one time. You're a fan too. If you want to jump on this train, why not subscribe and share with a friend? Dick Rail out. Y'all keep riding them rails.